What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadi. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Well, this is a special episode similar to what we did with Kate Winslet and with Dame Judi Dench. Today we're discussing another actress that's not Kate that I admire, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan is very hot right now. Everybody's discovered her this year, though she has been doing fantastic work for over a decade. I'm happy that the rest of the world has caught up to me. I have admired her since the beginning. Since an education, I've seen her stage work, I've seen all of her movies, and she is somebody I really like watching. And this is why I wanted to do this special episode. What are you doing? Hey, I said, what are you doing? We burn things, because war's the only language men listen to. Because you've beaten us and betrayed us and there's nothing else left. My choice is to do something hard and boring. It's not enough to educate us anymore, Miss Walters. You've got to tell us why you're doing it. Don't suppose because I'm a woman I don't know the difference between bad goings-on and good. I shall be up before you are awake. I shall be afield before you are up. It is my intention to astonish you all. I was very happy that my guest for this episode is writer and producer Jordan Cruciola host of the Disaster Girls and Austerian podcast. Jordan, welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Murtada. I really appreciate you having me on to discuss, really, I mean, one of, sort of one of the greats of her peer group, like of, of her set of actresses of that demographic of this time, like the sort of millennial veterans. Yes. She really is. She's, Carrie Mulligan is such a treasure. So much. And um, and she has given so, so many varied performances. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it was, you know, just looking back, I didn't watch everything mm-hmm. um, to get ready to talk to you, but I watched the two movies that we decided we want to talk about in detail. Mm-hmm. And I just watched a lot, a lot of other clips and interviews. And it's been really fun just doing that to get to talk to you. Yes. No, I've really, I was, I was telling you just before we got on that I've really been enjoying the, the experience of just really processing and trying to internalize her work and her screen presence and her sort of, her almost impressive, like, lack of persona. Like, she, she really sort of harkens back to an older model of, um, Starlet, where there is, there is actually a sort of sense of mystery about her, but not because it's forced, just because she generally opts out of the scrum. And not to say that, you know, not to say the contemporaries of hers like opt in necessarily, but like say I think a, I think a very relevant counterpart for her would be Kira Knightley. The way they came up together, same age, I believe they're very close friends in real life, and the way they made know, a couple they of movies it. together. Yeah, and the way they sort of matched it in, in at Pride and Prejudice, and have sort of gone in step with their careers, uh, you know, close with one another. Kira, because of, I mean, Bend It Like Beckham was a bit of a sensation of its own, but then, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean, which, I mean, just such a massive property and and flung her into a certain level of fame. There was an involuntary level of attention and scrutiny put on her from a very young age, making similar career choices to how Carrie has done. 
Um, but just as a bit more of an object of tabloid fascination because of the the volume of certain things. Whereas Carrie is just sort of like, she lives her life in the UK. I think she's like, she lives in Devon. She has her, <laughs> like, you know, musician husband. And she's yeah. just, she seems to only take the work she wants to take. Like, I, I feel like she's, you know, negotiated herself into a very... A kind of amazing sort of career where it's, you know, she's working at will. She doesn't seem to chase parts she doesn't believe in and has really settled into this, like, she has such a sort of confident veteran air about her at, like, 35. Yes, absolutely. And very interesting that you say she doesn't have a persona. And I was thinking about the reason of why suddenly in 2021 or 2020 with Promising Young Woman, everybody suddenly discovered Carrie Mulligan when she's been doing mm-hmm. great work for 10 years. because. Yeah. I spent the whole year when people would be like, Carrie Mulligan. I'm like, I've been saying this for a decade. (laughs) So do you think that that lack of sort of screen persona is what Mm -hmm. maybe held her back a little bit from not, you know, obviously casting directors and directors and the industry respected her, which is why she got cast in all these movies and with these, Mm -hmm. you know, major talents, whether in front or behind the camera. But like just with audiences, maybe they couldn't place her they couldn't, you know, sing her praises like sh- like they should be sung until this year. No, it's really um, because obviously, obviously, FYC campaigns when you're on the march for awards, like the point is saturation. I remember when I realized, like probably two or three years ago, I really realized for the first time the time commitment that is stumping for awards. And this is this is in a situation where it's in a pandemic. It's not like you can have all the canapes and the glad handing sessions. Like this is largely people zooming, it seems like probably from their homes and like wearing red carpet dresses, but just being photographed and like posting that stuff on Instagram. I really realized, I think it was in like Shape of Water, watching Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water and Jordan Peele for Get Out and realizing how many new poll quotes I was seeing from them every week and thinking like, oh my God, if you don't live in LA and you need to promote your movie for the award circuit, you probably just don't go home for four yeah. to six months because you have to be on the circuit. Maybe you go to New York a little bit, but yeah. otherwise you're camped out. It's some, like, you probably get like a long-term rental somewhere in the city and you're like, well, I have to go to a dinner or a screening or a benefit or a something or an award ceremony every four nights. So I guess I'm just going to stay here until all these <laughs> ceremonies are done. And Promising Young Woman has in, has accomplished something really phenomenal in my mind. With it, it seems like the heat around it and the anticipation of it did not wane for almost an entire year. Like the level of like sort of chomping at the bit for this movie to arrive felt like it was at a consistent pitch from the time it played at Sundance and got those initial sort of like sensational reactions to when it came out on Christmas Day to when it eventually then later reached people on video on demand. Like the level of conversation around it, there are ebbs and flows, obviously. Yeah. But it stayed at a high level for like 11 months before this movie actually got to people. So that was a lot of time spent wondering about Carrie Mulligan. That's a lot of time spent (laughs) just knowing the faintest bits about what she's going to give you if you maybe only associate her with costume dramas. And so it was like this mystery of what Carrie Mulligan could be doing was pervasive in the consciousness before so long before we finally got to see her. And I, you know, it is brutal for any movie that has to live up to an extended period of you have to see this, you have to see this. Like there's almost no way any movie could ever live up to that kind of suspense. 
regardless of how one feels about Promising Young Woman, I absolutely love it. It's my favorite movie of 2020. It's probably going to be my favorite movie of 2021 because I consider them debuting in both years. <laughs> I feel like the common denominator and the thing that the only point of dissension I don't get about it is if people are not like Carrie Mulligan is a fucking monster. Like that she just did devoured that I have to in my heart say the the only objectively one correct way to think about promising young woman with so many different ways you could interpret it and feel about it the one correct way to feel is that Carrie Mulligan fucking destroyed that role it it lived up to what you could have ima- could have imagined it being all the things you could have imagined it and the way that it subverts what we know about with her with this sort of like antithesis of persona is tremendous like yeah. she's sort of this like lovely stoic it's been interesting reading interviews about her leading up to this conversation and hearing her tendency toward doing, like, she said, my, my, like, I have to tell directors when I work with them, if you want me to go bigger, you have to prompt me because my instinct is to always do the least. It yeah. will be oh, to do yeah. the most, to do the most, <laughs> to do the minimal amount of expression to just find naked truth in anything that I'm doing. So if you want more, you're going to have to kind of direct that out of me. And in this, like, She's not overdoing it, but the viciousness that comes off of it is just such a different gear. I don't think of this as something like, you know, Carrie Mulligan's surprise isn't... No, Carrie Mulligan's an incredibly dynamic actress. To think that this is surprising that she could pull this off, I think, is patronizing to the breadth of things she can do in her career. But it's just a gear we haven't seen yet, and it is thrilling to watch her access that. Yeah, I saw, I think, a similar interview to the one you... you, It was around Suffragette, where... Um, she was talking about watching herself and she, she's mm-hmm. like, the first time I watched the movie, she's like, I thought I did nothing in this movie, <laughs> uh, which, which I think is to, your, to the point you were making. It's her tendency to kind of do minimal to just, and she has that face, you know, all the great actors do, the great screen yeah. actors do who have that face that can convey so much, you know, I don't so know what much. they do, but, uh-huh. um, the other funny anecdote I heard in the interviews that I was listening to is that, um, these, after all, I mean, she's known for these British period pieces. She's always in yeah. a corset. From Farther mm-hmm. the Madding Crowd to uh, Pride and Prejudice to even The Dig just this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, I think this was also around Suffragette. And she said something, you know, I told my agent, my next movie, I have to be wearing jeans. And I think she finally <laughs> found that part, you know, that modern provocative part that maybe she was looking for in Promising mm-hmm. Young Woman. Mm-hmm. I have to wear jeans. (laughs) Well, which is, I feel like when Carrie Mulligan says that, you know, she really means it because she has expressed like, she's not exclusively looking for costume dramas and in fact is looking for things that challenge her beyond costume dramas, but finds that the substance of leading roles for women and probably supporting roles too for women in roles that are typically adapted from already standing work as as a lot of these costume dramas are, that's where the most meaningful roles she's found that are offered to her exist. That's where she's found the most fully fleshed out characters is is from these adaptive works. And it's I think there's one quote that I remember she said that like it's our biggest and en- like export in film is is period pieces, is costume dramas. So like that's obviously what we do here. And she likes to work at home. She she likes to, you know, be where she's from and where she lives. So like the fact that she was like, look, I know that this is a, is a vein of material that actually gives me consistently amount of substance that I want to, to work with as an actress. So if she's the one saying, I need to wear jeans, you know she's really goddamn tired of not wearing jeans. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you better rep, get out there and find that script. Yeah. 
so to start our conversation, just do you remember the first time you saw her? What was um, the first movie you saw f- with Carrie in it? The first thing I saw with Carrie in it wasn't actually, I, I, I haven't seen much of her TV work. And yet the first thing I've seen I saw Carrie Mulligan in was, and I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't not watch Doctor Who, but I don't like tune in for it. And yet I have seen maybe half a dozen times her episode of Doctor Who, Blink, where oh, she plays really? Sally Sparrow. <laughs> I don't know why I have seen this episode of Doctor Who multiple times on accident, but it is the one I think I associate with Doctor Who and she's in it. And as as I understand it, it's one of the more famous episodes of it because it's just a great like contained horror story. And I that was the first thing I really remember seeing her in. And then probably it probably was an education and then um, Pride and Prejudice and then going back to that one, which is. Like, there's such a, it's almost like a fascinating outlier role in Pride and Prejudice because they're, it's so girlish. And not to say that that Carrie Mulligan and her presentation is not girlish. I think that that's a big part of her roles. Um, I think it's the voice to me. The voice is so deep and mellifluous and just powerful that it's, not that, you know, girls can't be powerful, but it just sort of gives you a more mature um, uh, Well, in in, in Pride, she's so, she's, she's sort of like, ditzy kitty bennett like she's 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 silly and she's girlish and so often in period pieces like even roles for young girls you're either playing like the naive you're playing the naive girl on the way to like harrowing self-awareness because Mm -hmm. you're coming of age in a world that like doesn't want you to have rights or humanity or like you're you're playing kind of that like ditzy kitty role or you're playing like the girl who has to become a woman at like the age of 15 because the realities of her life are that like you get married and you have kids or you like run the you inherit the estate at a really young age so even in even in young girl oriented parts there is a sort of um advanced maturation process that i think has to happen in the costume dramas whereas with pride and prejudice it's one of the few times where on film we just see carrie being an exuberant kid Mm-hmm. And yeah. not that there isn't a, any kind of animatedness or fun throughout any of her performances, but it's like, oh, wow, there's that little gem. Because mm-hmm. then even you move into like a role where she's very much playing a kid in The Greatest, where she's playing a teen girl who gets pregnant in high school and her, you know, paramour dies and she's sort of left in this relationship with his family where they're all mourning him and she's about to have his baby she's still playing a child in a very grown-up situation of about to have a baby so there's just this there's this weight of the world that wears so incredibly effectively on the face of carrie mulligan she is like she is like the vessel for all the suffering of white women throughout (laughs) like the the white women suffering that is in carrie mulligan's eyes is so incredibly evocative and i say that because it is done so in a way that like it doesn't feel like insufferable white feminism it actually it feels very honest it feels very gritty and it's not very true to her like minimalist instincts it's not done in a showy or histrionic way it's just like you constantly get the sense of every carrie mulligan character she's seen things yeah. And she's been through things. Yes. And it feels so honest in that way. Yeah. Um, so my first time was probably Pride and Prejudice, but frankly, I don't remember her making an impression on me with that movie. But sure. she definitely did with an education. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing it in an education and being just sort of flabbergasted by who is this? And mm-hmm. at the time, I think because of the way she presented herself, not in the movie, but just in press, with the mm-hmm. haircut, 
and sort of she's British and kind yeah. of European and an air of sophistication. All the comparisons were to Audrey Hepburn. And I, at the time, I didn't question or examine those comparisons. Or I just mm-hmm. took them inside. I'm like, yeah, she's Audrey Hepburn. Um, right, because it's, like, like, it's a great comparison. You yeah. want to hear that. Yeah. Totally. But then when, when you look back at that performance and at that movie, it's not Audrey Hepburn. There is a thorniness mm-hmm. to it. It's such a complex character. And, you know, she is somebody who is a teenager, but rebellious, but also rebellious in this way that you were just describing, this quiet rage that just simmers right below the mm-hmm. surface. Her emotions are checked in, which is, I think... One of the things that I love about her persona is that there is, she implies that there is a volcano inside, but... Carrie Mulligan is, is a contained explosion. Yeah. She is a contained explosion in every role. Yeah. And that was what was frankly amazing about an education because mm-hmm. that woman was so just trying to get out of this life that was prescribed to her, whether by mm-hmm. her family or whether by the school, by the system. And... but. She had no way to actually rage. So it was all just simmering mm. below the surface. And, you know, just in, that's not something I see at all in, in the screen persona that we know of of Audrey Hepburn. So that comparison mm. now rings to me um, not true, but I think maybe in the way she presented herself at the time, especially the haircut, mm-hmm. it was very, very, very Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> well, and I think it, I think it, I think it suggests, I, I, to me, that it, it's a parallel with, I, I appreciate the vulnerability and the layers of Audrey Hepburn's work, but it feels like what it's reaching for is just a, an ingenue comparison, as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, really actually examining it, the specificities of the presence of Carrie, of Audrey Hepburn and Carrie Mulligan. It just, like, decides that they're both these, like, lithe, delicate, kind of, like, cosmopolitan um, flowers. Uh, and I, I just, there's too much of, <laughs> I, I feel like a... A really interesting thing about her and, and why she was such a perfect choice for Promising Young Woman is there is such an edge to every Carrie Mulligan character. And not that there isn't an edge to, like, any good character beneath, like, there's 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 layer and meaning there. But such that unsuspecting sharpness, like, in, in Far From the Madden Crowd, her sort of, like, whole ethos as a character is that, like, she can't be tamped down. Like, she she wants a man who's capable of taming her, but that takes an exceptional kind of man to do because she, you know, is inherited this estate and she is now the head madam and you won't be answering to a man, you'll be answering to me. But all those, like, the costume dramas have to exist, and, and similarly with The Dig recently, it has to exist within the constraint of you have to push back extra hard because of what the world innately expects of you or demands that you cannot do as a woman in these like earlier time periods, you know, most significantly earlier time periods, if not still now. Um, But there's such a, I was so glad to see in Promising Young Woman, just getting to see her play with more overtly in a modern present day context, that devastating coldness that she can have about her. Just that, like, I've armored myself to the world and this is how I'm coping with it kind of strength. It was a thrill to see just that thing that she does so well. Just getting to see that be the forefront of the character instead of the undercurrent of the character. Because, you know, it's typically sort of a, a, a drama of manners that 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 is powering her through beneath the surface. But on the surface, she has to be sort of like the soft debutante. And, yeah, to to underestimate the the knives that Carrie comes in to every role carrying is 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 to underestimate her vastly. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for this conversation, we're going to get back to mm. Promising Young Woman. But for this conversation, we each chose a movie um, mm. to discuss. So we chose Steve McQueen's Shame from 2011. That mm. was your choice, Jordan. And I chose Paul Dano's Wildlife from 2018. So mm-hmm. since Shame came before, let's start there. Um, mm-hmm. Why did you Why did you choose from Carrie's? Like you know, she has really such an impressive filmography in just a little bit over a decade. Why mm-hmm. was Shame your choice? Because that is the. It is. Carrie Mulligan, even for all of her variedness, almost is never a chaos agent. And in this movie, her purpose is to be a chaos agent in the incredibly, like almost obsessively compulsive, obsessive compulsively fastidious life of, of her brother, Michael Fassbender's character, Brandon. And she arrives as a home invader. The first thing you hear of her is her annoyingly leaving voicemails for her brother who is like being, you know, emotionally unavailable to seemingly the only family member he's probably in contact with, just given the bare implications of the difficulties of their home life that were kind of given throughout the film. And, you know, just on the on the answering machine, Brandon, just like <laughs> nagging at him. Yeah. And Carrie's never a nag on screen. Like, regardless of what you she's never a nag. And then you see her, the first thing you see of her is completely stark fucking naked. Yes. Standing what, in his bathroom. What, what an entrance. And this is like, it's sort of like the classic movie star entrance where you hear the character's voice or you hear them being talked about and then they appear. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie adds mm-hmm. even a, another layer of that the first time she's completely stark naked in the bathroom. Just totally naked in front of her brother. And he's like, you know, thinking he's about to beat someone to death with a baseball bat. And she's just like, what kind of shampoo do you use? Is this for dogs? Like she <laughs> immediately diffuses the notion that she would be there as anything other than normal because chaos Mm -hmm. is normal for her and there are just there are you know brief both brief and and long shots in this movie just focused on carrie mulligan where she's having like a whole character journey that steve mcqueen really just lets her live in where she uh, you know obviously there's the one of her singing new york new york and there's the most haunting melancholy manner where you're sort of seeing any of the hopefulness she still has left in her as she is performing this number just straight to camera filling the frame of what this dream she might achieve of, of being a performer and being a singer while you're also seeing these flashes of doubt come across your face of like, is this it? Will it ever be real? Or, you know, it, there, there's so much kind of devastation in even in the sound of that song and in just the little business of what she's doing with her face. And then there's the much more brief, but just like agonizing moment where she's on the call with presumably her ex, just pleading with him, let me come back, let me come back. I love you. I love you. I lo-, just saying I love you over and over again in the most agonized manner and it never sounding the same twice. And just watching, I like, uh, I love genre film. That's that's my area of specialization, horror and action and things like that. Like I love the Sledgehammer movies and obviously with how this goes, you can feel like given her sort of ethos as a performer, like I will always do the, you know, I quote, well, I will always, you know, go to the bare minimum. You can feel that Steve McQueen was probably like more, more, more. Like I I like we're going further outside of your box. We're going further outside of your comfort zone. And her desire to be challenged by roles, be slightly afraid of roles that 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 she's going to take, because that's where sort of the the meat of a new 
you know, ability to rise to the occasion lies. And then to watch something like this where she is sort of, in the context of her her filmography, a maximalist performance. Because even as even as sort of vicious as, as Cassie is in Promising Young Woman, she's not she's not maximalist in that way. But this one, sort of every scene, you feel like she's going to disrupt every single thing around her just by virtue of existing. Yeah. And I <laughs> love getting to see... It's fun hearing Carrie Mulligan yell impulsively. Like they're the the scene where she, you know, they're finally coming together in the morning after their weird shower encounter and Michael Fassbender's making breakfast and he asks her if she wants she's like, Do you think I'm fat? Do you think I'm fat? And then he just doesn't say anything. She's like, Oh, just the aghast look on her face. How <laughs> dare you? And then she goes and sits at the table and he brings her the eggs. She takes one bite. She's oh, so good. She just yells it out. And to watch her just feel like she's vibrating on a frequency where she's like, all right, I'm committing to being a different person entirely from every instinct that I have. And I am going to be the most bitchy little sister you've ever wanted to not have. And there's so much vulnerability that comes through throughout whenever you see her in the movie. Like she's she's what I'm waiting for throughout the whole movie is chances to see Brandon interacting with Sissy. And I just love, I just love the the amount of character that she brings to every second she's on screen in that movie. Yeah, I, I love that performance too. And so, you know, Shame is the story. It's mainly about the Fassbender character, Brandon, who's a sex addict and sort of like his crumbling life and how emotionally lost he is. But I think once Carrie appears as his sister, she brings, you said, chaos, but I also just think she brought a sloppiness to his life. Yes. And to sort of oh, like yeah. the movie, she's yeah. so sloppy, not just drunk or oh, you no, know, she's not dressed. Yeah, she's such a mess. And he's so orderly in his life and everything is organized and just like, even though what he's doing is basically jerking off and having sex all the time, but it's still yeah. in a very organized manner. And so she brings, mm -hmm. she's so sloppy and it's just like she turns the movie upside down like when she appears. Yes. And um, one of the things that I always sort of love actors who modulate their voices and she is somebody who does that so well. And She's in, so good at that. Wow. And in shame, she sounds like she never has sounded in any other movie. Like she's usually mm -hmm. has this, her voice is a little deeper, but it's higher in uh -huh. shame, higher than any, in any other movie. And I was so struck by that. I'm like, so she's using the voice to sort of tell us how sloppy, how chaotic this woman is. And it was mm -hmm. just to me, and even when she's singing that rendition of New York, New York, which is to what you said was melancholy, but it was also so, she was so defeated singing it. Like mm -hmm. you could be like, mm -hmm. you know, it says like, you know, that line in, in the song where if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. Like when she uh -huh. says it, it's like, I didn't make it and I'm never going to make I it here make or it. anywhere else. I didn't make it. Yeah. You like her eyes kind of search for a moment. Like, it's up to you, New York, and you decided, and I didn't make it. It, it is, it's, it's like a eulogy when she's singing it. Yeah, totally. That's perfect. It is totally a eulogy. And it's just like, it pierces you. It's just like, ugh, it's like somebody punched you uh -huh. in the stomach with that song. Uh -huh. Which is not what usually a song in a movie, that's not the reaction <laughs> we're supposed to feel. Yeah. So yeah. And while and her like emotionless brother is like trying to hide that he's crying, it's like, well, you can't fucking blame him. This is harrowing right now. Yeah. If I can make it there, I'll make it. Any 
And so this was such a, a change of pace for her. I think, you know, people heralded at the time as sort of this, because she was known for those period pieces, that this was something completely different. And I th- think that was true. And it was something different. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, I just don't think that people, we realized at the time what a great performance that is. But I've seen Shame I many agree. times since since it came out. And every time I'm just like flabbergasted by sort of what she does with so mm-hmm. little because she's so restrained. Like she knows this is Fassbender's movie. This is the other thing. She's such a generous actor. So she, she knows is. this is Fassbender's movie. So she's not going... Like, in their scenes together, she's like, you lead. Like, she's not mm-hmm. trying to wrestle the scene from him. Mm-hmm. Even though she is playing the flashier character, she lets him mm-hmm. shine. And that sort of interplay is also something like a generous actor would do, but I think someone a younger sister would do to her older brother, too. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's such a complex, thorny, sort of prickly sibling relationship. That they both oh, play God, yeah. so well together. Mm-hmm. No, it's, 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 I, the... Because the movie is just so, like, not de- not in a theatrical sense, but just, like, coldly depraved um, as you watch The Descent yes. of Brandon, <laughs> the only hum- moments of humanity, or even when he's being a dick to her and she's being a nightmare to him, the only moments of, of like, grounding in the entire thing are when you see that, like, he cannot they cannot help but come back to one another because they're all one another has. Like, even, like, the moments where that, that, uh, somehow there's an adorable moment in this movie when they're on the train platform together and she, like, leans her head into his shoulder and he leans back. Because, like, ultimately he probably is the only person that, she probably is the only person that he loves. And watching their, their physicality in this movie is so, is so captivating because it's so upsetting. Like, there there's clearly an, interesting relationship with physicality between these two like from the moment we see her just like fully naked in front of him and not, not caring not to the trying to cover he, herself at all no and he and then at one point he like he flips out at her because he's had enough of her just sloppy ass life in his, in his living room and he jumps on top he doesn't put on clothes to do it he wearing a wrapped towel jumps on top of her on the couch straddles her and it's just like grabbing her by the shoulder screaming what do you want from me and at first she's She's laughing. At first, she is playing along, like, oh, what are you, you gonna get mad at me, Brand? You get, like, it, it doesn't immediately occur to her that this is a weird or threatening situation because there's obviously a broken boundary there where her brother in a towel that's fully falling off of her body would jump on top of her and start yelling at her. And when he doesn't relent, that's when she's like, get off of me, you fucking weirdo. Like, when, when he says that, when she says that, he gets off and he runs. And then she calls and apologizes the next day and we hear one of her voicemails. And the way we see, like, her constantly trying to close the physical gap between them. Just being so perfectly indicative of how desperate this person is for love. Like, how desperate this person is for for affirmation and for validation that they are, that they, that somebody wants to touch them, that somebody wants to interact with them. When she goes and gets in his bed after she spent the evening fucking his boss in his bed you know while he wasn't in it he goes to bed and she comes in and just like crawls up and starts to spoon him and he's like sissy get out of my room and he has to keep screaming until she leaves and when she first gets there in the morning and gloms onto him when she asks when she can stay and hugs him from behind and there are just repeated instances of him having to physically pull him pull her off of his body because you can tell 
This is a part of their relationship of her trying to close that gap and him obviously trying to widen it, but him being like, you cannot physically be so close to me as you are always trying to be. And it just emphasizes, like you said, the kind of compounded defeat that this character brings in that we ultimately come to understand the severity of when she tries to take her own life. And it's, you know, that all the pieces fit to, you know, it's a logical conclusion based on what we've seen, but it makes every piece of the puzzle coming together up to that point. It's a better movie, I feel like, when you return to it after a first watch, because I think knowing what's coming rewards the weight of every single performance choice in the movie and her choices are just so vibrating and and chaotic that it makes them it grounds them in a kind of haunting melancholy with yeah. each time you see her reaching out for more love yeah and i think you know the the sort of that physicality between sibling is i think why that movie at the time wasn't as appreciated i think a lot of people could just not take it the fact yeah. that this brother and sister could be naked around each other or could have this sort of I don't want to say it's strange because it's just theirs but maybe yeah, something that there. most most people are not used to between siblings yeah. but it's definitely sort of... in definitely in America that's not a, <laughs> that's not a, a a fluidity that we are comfortable with no not at all and they yeah. were playing Americans there is a line yeah. that I laughed at is that they grew up in New Jersey and I'm like okay oh uh, uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, truly, the least grounded part about shame, the most unbelievable part is not like the sad circus of like hate fucking that closes the movie. It's them being like, oh, yeah, we grew up in New Jersey. Sure. But it's also it just to me, it hints at, you know, at turmoil, at Mm -hmm. something that has happened, not necessarily between them, but something that has happened to them as a unit when they were growing up. And that's Mm -hmm. why they have this strange relationship. And it's it's very powerful because I think it's one of those traumas that doesn't bring you closer to the yeah. person who had it with you. It sort of That's a good point. drives you apart, but still there is lingering things there, which is why it is so strange. And there is, it's, it's up and down throughout the film. It's really mm-hmm. well modulated, like in the screenplay, the way they play it, obviously, but it's just like, like, you know, props to Steve McQueen too, for sort of giving them the space to, to play this out. Like, cause because it's so physical, this relationship, that the way that mm-hmm. he sort of holds, he's known for these sort of long takes. But the way that yeah. he holds those takes while they are left to play together is just, mm-hmm. it's what makes the movie. Well, and it, it feels like a movie about um, quote unquote Americans that only a non-American filmmaker actually could have made. I, I just, there's just a sensibility to, I, I think, international directors that there 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 is more comfort in those silences and long shots and you know obviously that's not every single american director is on a cover but like just like the film economy and sort of american filmmakers and what we're steeped in the rhythm of this movie and the the way emotion is handled this movie just feels so not of an american filmmaker so it was it it, like in that way like i love that this collection of europeans is like we're gonna make a story about this american fucked up family yeah, I mean, uh, shame is so good. One one last note that I just want to mention about it is that th- the the last voicemail that she leaves for him is so devastating. And this is back to my point oh, earlier about how she God. uses her voice because she, you know, she she that's sort of like there is always something in 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 her voice that sort of tells you exactly what the movie's about. And there is yeah, that's in, a good point. In that voicemail, she says, you know, she says to him, "We are not bad people. We just came from a bad place." And yeah. in those you know, five simple 
words, you know, two sentences, mm-hmm. you sort of get the history of this relationship that we've been trying to unlock and sort of like figure out for the last yeah. hour and a half. And then she just gives it to you right there in her yeah. voice. We're not bad people. We just come from a bad place. You like, you, you like suddenly, suddenly like the highly likely prospect of like years of abuse mm-hmm. are yeah. like... You can't be sure, but you're as close to sure mm-hmm. as you can be without yeah. having, like, factual confirmation from the parties involved. And suddenly it's, like, every choice that these characters have made, like you said, is it, it tells you the entire movie, is about this one sentence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And these people are not any, neither of these people are anywhere close to having reconciled what she said with the reality of who they are today. Yeah. So, um, listeners, if you haven't seen Shame, go watch it immediately. If you're in the United States, it's on HBO Max. So yes. it's two clicks away, basically. So start it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jordan, did, is there anything else about Shame you wanted to say that you haven't touched on before we move on? I think I, I think I think her choice to to take this role is a wonderfully indicative thing of sort of her curation and her career, and and speaking specifically about um like wanting to pursue it because and I feel like you 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 do hear this from actors a lot but Carrie doesn't work a ton she she's not she's 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 a busy actress certainly mm-hmm. but she's not um she's never super saturating the landscape she seems very yeah. deliberate about what she does mm-hmm. um. Which is the best and, way, because, you know, you want to miss yeah. them. You want to miss your favorite actors a little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. And she, the fact that she was very, um, that she was fearful of a, of a character like this and a, of a part like this, but knew she wanted to throw herself into it headlong anyway, I feel like is very representative of, of how she has operated throughout her career. And, and she's also, I, I was reading bits where she talked too about the directors that she it seems kind of intuitive. The directors that she has um, felt the best working with are the ones where she has fully put their, her trust in them. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this was a really, you had, you couldn't make a movie like shame and feel good about it afterwards, unless you had a really good trusting working relationship with the filmmaker and Steve McQueen in this case. And to know that she wants to choose bracing roles like this despite mm-hmm. the fact that she is sort of most marketed as a costume drama figure um with films out of the UK I think it just that ethos I think is such an important reminder of the motivating of the motivating sort of mindset of this actress really at all times these aren't like stunt choices she's always hoping to find yeah. the thing that frightens her a bit that 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 moves her into a place she hasn't been before and when she does she she's very discerning and she's got good taste. Yeah. So when she does make these choices, she makes choices like shame. She makes choices like wildlife and promising young woman. Like she makes, she's a good curator. And I think that is, you know, I, I think where people might not be familiar with the breadth of her work might consider her sort of maybe limited in her scope of what interests her. She's just a, she's just discerning is what she is. And when she is discerned that something is worth her time, she's fucking fearless. And this is definitely an example of that. I one, it what you were saying reminded me of something I heard in an in an interview that she gave. She said like when she gets <clears throat> offered a part, she tries to imagine somebody else doing it, and if she mm-hmm. can't stand the fact that somebody else did it, then she says yes. Otherwise, she's like, oh, it's fine. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't need to be in that. 
<laughs> well, and I liked too that with um just with physically in the role, she talked to, I was reading an interview, I think with the Guardian around when it came out where she talked about she knew she was going to be totally naked, but there was absolutely no mandate to be a certain way in her nudity. She was like, I was eating whatever I wanted. I was just completely comfortable on screen. And it was so nice to not have to worry about that. And to know that it was a part, a, a rare part in her filmography where she would be completely unclothed. And she was not stressed because she knew she could just come into the work as she was <laughs> a beautiful fucking woman. Like there's just, I mean, just, Carrie Mullen's doing great. But like the fact that it but didn't But it's not give that sculpted any... body that we're used to when, when yes, sort it, of it, yeah. actresses do. The fact that, the fact that there was a comfort going into it because of the lack of pressure to be the most unrealistically perfect version of her physical self even in the even in a role where she would be more exposed than anything she had done before is really nice that's just a really nice thing to know about it that it wasn't especially fraught because she was going to be naked it wasn't fraught because she knew she could just come as she was yeah um yeah so shame great movie great performance so um for this conversation i chose wildlife which is the 2018 mm-hmm. paul dano movie and this is a story, it's, it's a story about a teenage boy dealing with sort of his parents' impending divorce. His dad decides to go away and abandons the family. But the central sort of conflict here is the Carrie character. She plays Jeanette. Yeah. She's this wife and mother. In, in, it's set in 1950s Montana. She's somebody who sort of set her life as once she makes the choice of who to marry or she says yes to the man she's married she sort of thought that maybe she doesn't have to make any more choices or think mm-hmm. that much about her life. But when her husband sort of leaves the family to, um, for a while, it's not like he leaves forever. He just wants to goes away for a while. Yeah, he takes a he takes a job sort of off site. There's a great fire burning in Montana and he he's in a crisis of his own because he loses his job. And he's he makes the you know big decision of like, OK, I'm going to go off and fight these fires. And that means being in mortal danger and being away from his family. And then suddenly Jeanette is a single parent and a woman essentially on her own. Yeah, probably given the era for the first time in her life. I would imagine yeah. she went from parents house to his house. Yeah, exactly. And not only just, it's like for the first time that she has to think about how mm-hmm. to earn a living, about what to do. And sort of, I love this movie because it's all about the confusion inside this woman's head. It's all about what mm-hmm. she does, which is also similar to shame, very chaotic. But this is somebody who's not a sloppy ass sissy. This is somebody who's sort mm-hmm. of, you know, she, she, she thought that her life was set and then suddenly it's, the rug is pulled from under her and she has to examine every choice that she made and she has to think of how she is going mm-hmm. to sort of move on. And what she does first, what's the confusing thing first, is that she just thinks that she has to find another man. And sort of this yeah. sort of leads us to the, the first half of the movie where she's trying to do that. And then the second half is, is where is, is sort of more where she comes to like, oh, this maybe is not, it's not just about finding another man. It's like she needs to find herself. And Mm-hmm. I chose this this movie because I was just, as usual, just so enamored with Carrie's performance in it. But it also follows this tradition of which is, if your genre is horror and action, my genre is women unraveling. Yeah. <laughs> amazing, amazing choice. <laughs> because I just think that, you know, when women unravel on screen, they show us their vulnerability and their humanity, mm-hmm. while men just become violent, which is not fun right. to watch. 
So mm-hmm. like to me, this sort of falls into the tradition of Jenna Rollins in A Woman Under the Influence or mm-hmm. even going all the way back to the to the gold standard Vivian Lee in A Streetcar Named Desire. Recently, mm-hmm. we had Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine and, you know, every single Pedro Almodovar character yeah. is basically <laughs> yes. a woman unraveling. So this is part of that genre and this is why I chose it and Carrie was just like, you know, I remember watching it um, the first time I saw it and I was just like, this is her Blanche. This is, she might mm-hmm. not get to play Blanche Dubois, but right. she she got it. This, this Jeanette is her Blanche Dubois. And it is that sort of like, the character is chaotic, but the actor, she's so in control of her instrument here. Like all oh, the choices yeah. that she makes are so exacting. Like it's just like, it's not, sometimes when an actor sort of chooses to do something or they think about it, you know, that Pauline Kael thing about Meryl Streep, I can see that she's thought about it or she's thinking about mm-hmm. it. But to me here, I know that Carrie thought about this, but also mm-hmm. like her choices and what she thought were just so right for this character because every time she drops the voice to sort of hone in a moment or yeah. she, that scene where she's dan- drunkenly dancing, every choice in that scene is all about telling us how confused this woman is, how just how and how she can't deal with what is happening to her. She's just she you know, she's in such turmoil. And she just and it's and you just feel you feel the reality just radiating off of her that what magnifies her down her her spinning out is that she knows there are so few choices. Like, okay, so I feel this way. Truly, now the fuck what? Like it's it's a, you know, it's a sort of tale as old as time with with women, but it, there there are at least some more choices now. There are at least like, you know, well, if you can if you can embrace yourself and embrace the unknown, like there are avenues you can take. This is 1950s in Montana. It, I feel like, is probably still the 1950s in Montana. So I can't imagine what it was fucking like in the actual 1950s. And like the way that she remarks, like in the movie, like that, you know, your dad always, you know, basically, he has to run away from things instead of facing them. How dare he leave us alone in this lonely town? Like, how dare he leave? Because, like, truly, what is there for her? Like, as a woman, her options are already limited. And she only gets, like, when she d- she knows she has to go back to work, she's, like, you know, pounding the pavement, trying to find out employment opportunities at places. She's reading ads and papers. And there's one woman who takes pity on her, not when she's asking for a job, until she says, my husband's looking for work, too, in case you're hiring. Because she says, is there any work for a man? And then it's only then does the woman soften and realize that both of these people are out of work and that they're really on hard time. She's like, well, do you know how to swim? And she becomes an instructor at the Y. And just at the, she's, again, just the weight of every white woman's suffering in like modern, in in the modern era is, is inside the eyelids of Carrie Mulligan. And to just watch her, she's so adept in this movie at these just surprisingly barbed things she can just toss off when she says them because and it's not out of a it's not a sense of cruelty like the it's it's a it's an amazing mother and child story like it's like taking it's taking the hours and knowing like that julianne moore's character had to flee her life and like ed harris's character like grew up sad without a mother and became a great poet it's just like let's take let's just watch the entire movie from the perspective of that era of julianne moore's character and that devastation and let's live in that quietly for an entire movie and just the it's so ingrained in her how sort of unhappy she is and how adrift she is the incredible, mo- like, you highlighted it in sort of a document of notes that you sent forward where she says, like, 
Do you have any, like, do you have a better plan? If you do, tell me. Yeah. I'll try it. Similar to what I said about- And she says that to, like, a fucking 14-year-old boy. Like, her son. Like, you have any better options for my life? Because I'm willing to try anything. It's like, holy shit. Whoa. And similar to what I was saying about shame and that voicemail, again, this was the moment that unlocked this movie for me. It's like, she doesn't have a plan. Like, she's- She is looking. Anybody. Basically, can anybody help me? Yes. And this is why, why she's going through this. And- you know, the movie has a lot of loud moments. And this is also something that Carrie doesn't sort of do that much of. We talked about how yeah, she's always you restrained. feel it. You feel it when she does, because boy, yeah. does she save it. Yeah, So, but but also I think what I loved about that, we're, we're going to talk about the one loud moment in detail in a minute. But before we get to that, like what I loved about this performance is a lot of it is in those sort of tiny moments right before... Mm. She says something. So she's somebody that I like to watch think on screen. So there yeah. is a scene at the end when she's sort of um, already trying to seduce some rich man failed. And yeah. she she decides that she's just going to be on her own, find a job, find an apartment. And she's breaking the news to her 14-year-old son and to her husband, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who has come back um, mm-hmm. from the fires that he went to uh, to work on. And so she takes this one beat before she says, I got an apartment in town. And it's like the camera is right on her in like a medium shot close up. And you can just see on her face, like the sort of um, the enormity of this decision that it wasn't an easy decision to get to that. Mm -hmm. She now just needs to be on her own, but she has Mm -hmm. made it. There is a little bit of relief, but it's just, you can tell that this was a very hard and big decision that took her a long time. And even though, you know, we saw how she got to it, it just, in that moment, she registers all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, and it, yeah, it, it, I, and I just, I, there's that whole car ride that she has too with, with her, with her son, with, and Ed Oxenbold is, is doing such a good job in this movie. Beautiful performance. And like, she's like, you know, the way this movie just kind of, constantly plays with your your feelings is very brutal of it and and very effective and you know she wait he gets him in the morning and she's like you want to skip school and you think like oh they're gonna have a day like they've been having a really hard time she's really struggling she's making some real questionable choices like she's clearly having problems she's taking it out on the kid a lot like this is really hard like, oh they're gonna have this nice day and they're driving and she starts like telling him an anecdote about how her her dad says like there was you know there's no point in crying about things and just that incredible her incredible voice her incredible thick like at times borderline smoky voice where she's just like and you know what he was right. And you're like, yes. oh, holy shit. And then she takes him like there. She's like, here's the staging area for the fires. And you're like, what's going on? And the boy's like, oh, are we going to go find dad? Like, he's stoked that they may have just taken a road trip to find dad. And she's like, no, I'm not getting in there. Absolutely not. And she keeps driving. And they drive up to a wall of fire. The forest is burning to the ground. And you just hear like for the longest time, we just watch them watching it. We don't see the fire. We just hear it. And she... Like, what does she say to him? She's like, do you still feel like, she's like, do you still sympathize with him now? I'm sorry, both of us can't. And it was like, oh, Mike, she drove him all this way to say that one. That was the point of this trip. Still, I'm sorry, we both can't. It's just un, but she just shreds, quietly shreds her husband in this movie. So incredibly well. And like, 
you're with her. And I know she had to like confront some stupid response to this role. People being like, wow, I can't believe this was, she's a terrible mother. And she treated her son this way. And she's like, her response was, we don't give women any latitude on screen to be anything but model people. And that's ridiculous. Like women can make tough and bad choices. And it's our job to like empathize with characters in a film. That's what, you know, watching a film is for. And she's had to sort of diffuse responses like that to roles a few times in her career being like, well, it's really fucking misogynist that you're saying something so reductive about what women can and can't do on screen. And she's very forthright about that stuff. She doesn't sidestep those kinds of criticisms. And I think that's an interesting thing about like, the, the sort of non-persona that exists because she's always just pretty much candid. Carrie Mulligan is pretty much a straight shooter and she doesn't really present a like, you don't, you don't, you don't picture her team having like a media plan of the things Carrie like will and won't do. That's like, well, we're cover only or this, that, the other. And that she's going to like give you a party line answer when she responds to things. Of course, she's going to like do the press circuit thing. But you also feel like Carrie's going to like pretty much come at you from her heart of hearts when you ask her a question. Like her whole profile that she had in the New York Times around Promising Young Women called like, what is the title of it is Carrie Mulligan isn't letting Hollywood off the hook. And she talks about, you know, she says like, I read the Variety Review because I'm a weak person. <laughs> Just because I'm a weak person. Yeah. And then, you know, there are certain times where poor reviews are called out and you're like, you just didn't want anybody to poorly review your film and you're mad about it. But you feel from her when she has these complaints that they are specific, that they are grounded in in reality and not a sort of fantasy of being beyond reproach. And from a true, just like dry sensibility, sick of this bullshit, which is why she does. It's like you can kind of feel implicit in her answering these questions about like the the horseshit of, of what goes on in Hollywood by her sort of generally opting out of the media machine, but for what is absolutely necessary to promote her work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love I love reading her interviews. I love watching them. She is. Um, yeah, I agree with you that she's a, a straight shooter. I do want to, you know, if we go back to wildlife for a little bit, I want to talk about oh, of course, yes. that one scene in, in a little bit more detail. But I also just want to think when I saw wildlife and I saw it at the New York Film Festival, I really thought that this was going to be the movie. And that was a year when I saw Carrie in her one woman show, Boys and Girls, which played mm, here in okay. New York. And that was such a great performance and she was she's somebody who's so comfortable on stage and this was a one woman show where she just held that stage and she's like you you know there was nothing else to watch except her there were there were just a couple of props and just her so it was like such a high level of difficulty performance and then a few mm -hmm. months later i saw wildlife and i was like oh this is completely going to take her to the next level this like these one two punch of these two performances these two sort of really great characters that she got to dig into and do a lot with is definitely going to take her to the next level. And, you know, we had to wait a couple of years until Promising Young Woman. But I think what, what, why that movie was not as appreciated as it is, it's back to what you just said. It's like people just thought of this woman as this bad mother. Like, how mm -hmm. could she play, how could she play the someone who takes her 14-year-old son on a date where she's trying to, to seduce another man other than his oh father. Like, God. I think that that's why this misogyny of like, well, this woman had no other choice. She saw that was the only thing that she could do. Like, if right. you watch this movie, instead of just being sort of bogged down in, in the thing about like, she's a bad mother, like even at the post premiere at the New York Film Festival, all the praise went to Jake Gyllenhaal. And I was just like, did you people watch the same movie? 
Like he's gone for most of the movie. I know. Like that's the point is that he's gone for most of that's fucking ridiculous. I mean, I think it was the moderator who kept asking men Ugh. to ask questions or pointing at men to ask questions. So that partly his fault, but also partly just like I think people could not praise the character and thus couldn't mm-hmm. praise the performance and the actress. Because, you know, yes, let's let's call her a bad mother for just the sake of for the sake of argument. But that sure. doesn't mean that the performance isn't great or that the actress is God, not no. doing the, her best work. It's an incredible performance. And I think I think a thing that as far as the as far as the industry machinations go, as far as the horse race aspects of it go, I think a, a thing that catches her, um, I think a sort of thing that like keeps her grabbed by the ankle is the same thing that it does with Amy Adams. She does natural so well. And I think she just makes things look so true so and so simply real that you forget how hard that is like amy adams is our like quintessential naturalist of, of for america for for of the american actress set and i think carrie mulligan does a similar thing where like i feel like you know the 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 lines around um the sort of commentary around um hillbilly elegy when that was coming out on netflix was like this is screaming oscar bait just like so hard its throat is bleeding like this is unbelievable (laughs) and like with amy adams though it's like she's going to amy adams will like constantly feel like i'd be like I feel like the number two in the list of five best actress nominees because the person who wins that year is going to have done something that was a little flashier, that was a little louder, that was a little showier. But because she is so adept at just making the little business of being alive feel so real, it's just easier to look past that and be like, oh, we'll get her on the next one. We'll get her on the next one. The fact that Carrie was nominated for an education and wasn't nominated for something like shame. Oh, wild. It wasn't nominated for something like well, it's like guys, we already know you like her. She's on guys, this is she's only getting better. Yeah. Like what the and fuck this was that? Such a next like, level. She's proving that she's getting better yeah. and better. What what's wrong she, with like, you? Like she's fulfilling the promise of the Oscar nomination that you gave her 10 years ago. Like yeah. what where if that was good enough? Why isn't that? Like I'm not saying you know, there shouldn't be a greater variety of, of actresses nominated for Academy Awards. Of course there should be. But it's kind of like, if that, if you are going to say that rose to the level, I truly do not know how you say that these subsequent works that capitalize, that that show that talent was for real. And there is a maturation and, and an advancement even from that time. If that was good enough, then how the shit have some of these roles not been good enough since then to rise to that level of recognition? Because, Wow. Just what, like, it, there's, she can do so much with stillness. And I, that was something that I was thinking about as I started reading interviews with, like, Emerald Fennel coming into this and even, and, and found a quote. I think it was in the uh, inter- Indie Wire interview that she did, Carrie did with, with them, where they ask Emerald about her. And she says, you know, her stillness on screen is just so incredible. And that is, like, y- the, 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 dynamic nature of your talent to make stillness that compelling that's incredible like and and what she does in this movie in the absence of obvious flair is just devastating god yeah so i wanted to just go back a little bit to wildlife and talk the centerpiece scene in wildlife is this Mm -hmm. long scene where 
Jeanette decides that her only choice is to seduce this rich man, Mr. Miller, who she met mm-hmm. because she gave him swimming lessons. And so, but at the same time, she's not 100% sure that she wants to do this. So he invites mm-hmm. her to dinner and she takes her 14-year-old son with her <laughs> because she's not sure that she wants to go all the way, but she still yep. thinks that maybe this is her only choice. And so she yeah. gets there and it's a long scene and we, we get Mr. Miller talking to the son, but also we get her getting drunker and drunker. And, uh-huh. and trying to dance and trying clumsily to seduce Mr. Miller. And mm-hmm. every choice that Jeanette makes is wrong, but every wrong. choice that Carrie makes is completely right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like you're cringing so hard for her when she starts like he's like complimenting her husband on him going off and fighting the fires and she was like, "Well, Mr. Miller would never do that." He's like, "I actually admire your husband." Like every time she says a shitty thing about her husband, he's like, "Well, actually." And he kind of says something nice and empathetic. Like, he's not Mr. Miller's not really doing anything much wrong in this scene, and she just keeps Every instinct of hers is just devastatingly bad. But like, as you said, that underscores that Carrie's choices are so right to show this just woman careening down a hill emotionally. Yeah. Um, it's 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 so hard to watch, but it's also so fascinating Ooh. to watch. Like, like sometimes, like, I think not the first time because I was in a big movie theater. <laughs> so the first time, but I was watching it on Netflix and I was just like trying to hide my face a little bit as hide I was myself. watching it. I was get, I was trying to make myself as small as possible watching that scene. Oh, when she's trying to get her son to dance and you're like, don't make him dance. Oh, please don't make him get up. Oh no. And the brilliance of Paul Dano's direction, I think in that scene is that a lot of it plays on the son's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mm-hmm. do much. He's just watching kind of like, not knowing how to react, but also mm-hmm. not believing what is happening inside of him. And it's just like that that duet of like Carrie unraveling and her son just not believing it. It's so heartbreaking. Um, and I think she said like it, from a, a an interview I was reading about that movie, she said that like after like they had done a take and she was like, oh, my God, that was awful like i oh i i i fucked that up like i i I, there's and she's like i think she said like she feels drawn to roles that she's afraid she's gonna fuck it up if she takes it because that means it's like really you know strong material for her and she they like i think done a take of the scene and she went to paul and was like oh my god that must that was so bad and he like assured her he was like well actually like i'm gonna need you to go a little bit bigger like i'm gonna need you to go away from that sense of minimalism and if you just do the worst job you can, I think that's actually going to get as close to what we want. Like, do be what you think is actually the worst performance you could give in this scene. And I think that is going to give us the best performance we can get for this. Yeah. And and that's that's why I chose this performance. That is why this is my favorite Carrie Mulligan performance. This is why if listeners, you want one Carrie Mulligan movie, my recommendation is Wildlife. Is that I it's think really the, good. the notes that she plays in in this movie, in this role, are different than what I've seen her play. She's mm-hmm. We talked about how she's always restrained. She's always the fire beneath the surface, that volcano that's just not going to erupt, but you can mm-hmm. feel it crumbling and trying <laughs> yeah. to get out. But I think in wildlife, it gets out. It doesn't get out every time. It gets right, out in right. a few scenes. And mm-hmm. it's just so gorgeous to watch. And so that's why this is my favorite Carrie Mulligan performance. Well, and I just, I think, like, to the point of, like, the, she's being a bad mom, 
it's she starts off they are such like a sweet cute family at the outset when you see them at the dinner table and like he seems to clearly have like a good relationship with both his mom and his dad and like they're a good little nuclear family and the way she like kind of helps him with his homework and she's scratching his head like you don't get the sense that that like that this is a household punctuated by so many horrors and we're only being lulled into a full sense of security no it's about to fall apart it has not yet fallen apart and so when she starts making these really rash choices and saying these really like disarming things in front of her son i think what that does is it underscores how how devastated her character is internally and how hopeless she feels knowing that this person who she obviously loves, who she has been a good and attentive mother to, like even in the face of that love she has for this boy that we we see so clearly at the outset and that warmth she has for him, she is so undone inside and has been so unable to care for herself individually that not even that great and clear love for her child is something that can intervene and be like, okay, recalibrate. You got to keep it together for him. No, that just, un- that just, emphasizes the nature of the turmoil inside of her. And I think that is the thing that she handles best in this movie is, is having, is working around that dedication to this boy, this character. It's, it's, it's as far as like roles playing the mother go, you know, playing quote unquote, the the mother on screen. It's a tremendous mother character that actually lends depth to the woman in question, as opposed to flattening her by making her like a mother, a mother heroine, like yeah. to make her either like the whore or the angel. Kind yeah. of thing. It's a very reductive way to look at at work by oh, actresses, God, yeah. and especially this movie and this performance. But unfortunately, I think that's why this movie hasn't broken out. But you know, it's such a complex performance. It's such a beautiful character beautiful character that I think she really digs deep into. So, and it's if you're in the United States again. I'm not being paid by Netflix or HBO Max, but this one is on Netflix. So it's it's also two clicks away. (laughs) Yes. So um, I want to, Jordan, I want to end by what is your favorite Carrie Mulligan performance? I think I know, but I want you to tell (laughs) me and the listeners what it is and why. (laughs) I, I, it's, it's a promising young woman. I, um, and it, because again, this comes from, and not because it is necessarily a, a, greater performance like oh my god i didn't know carrie was capable of such a thing i love this i love the sledgehammer cinema like i i love make make it obvious for me go over the top go bloody (laughs) go big go max i love i love when when filmmakers go big too i i i just i fucking love it and why why that movie works is because the world is so hyper real and it's so ultra femme and it's candy colors. That grounding force of Carrie Mulligan is what makes it functional. It is what makes it not just a caricature. And it is what makes it so poignant. It is what makes that, like, the way, again, the devastation that Carrie Mulligan can wear. To me, prime before anything else, Promising Young Woman is a love story. It's a love story between... Cassie and Nina, these best friends who were separated because one of them took her own life following a sexually traumatizing incident. She was attacked. And this movie is a person unable to put themselves back together again in the wake of the most harrowing possible loss she could have experienced, really. And it is 
I love a movie that, that spins out of control and goes crazy. I love the perfection. I love that that movie ends up being like women with meat cleavers cutting a guy into pieces and a fucking super cut that's a cello, dueling cellos dance club sex scene in bisexual lighting. Oh my God, yes, give all that to me. But to have to have that eye of the storm that is Carrie right in the center of it, just holding it all together in a constant state of crisis calm. Because there are there are such perfectly Carrie Mulligan moments in this where I was having a conversation with somebody recently who took issue with the film in the way that it they didn't think it sufficiently interrogated the the choices that Cassie was making and that it, they, they kind of saw the movie as too flat as a result. And I was like, well, actually for me, I don't see this movie as inherently on the side of Carrie at all. Like, I don't see this movie as inherently on the side of Cassie and like in, on the side of Cassie's choices, mm-hmm. it is a movie that asks you to interrogate your empathy for Cassie in the face of her making really bad decisions. She makes a lot of really bad decisions. Really dangerous yeah. decisions. And the, some of the strongest moments in the movie are when you see her reacting to what would be considered like a triumph in a more sort of straightforward, high octane rape revenge film where she can't cope with it, where she essentially gets a victory and you see her responding as though she is just the shell of a person. Like she she completely takes that Dean to the cleaners, Connie Britton, and gets exactly what she wants out of her. It's just smacking gum in her office the entire time. And then she has the, the confrontation with the man in the truck and they're parked at the same intersection. She gets out and beats the shit out of his car with a crowbar. That's not like a yas queen moment in the movie. She stands in the intersection with a train going behind her and she looks like she's just been, been punched in the face. She doesn't know what to do with herself in that moment. After she, Alfred Molina completes his tearful mea culpa to her and she at least exonerates him in the way that she doesn't go send somebody in to beat the shit out of him. She stands by her car and she doesn't look happy. She looks damn near broken. And when she, the moment where Alison Bree's character, like, finally ha- that has that incredibly tense scene in her house where she gives her the tape of Nina's, at- of the attack on Nina, and she tells her, you know, and one more thing, never fucking contact me again. She does not look like, well, bitch, you brought it on yourself. She looks conflicted over all of the difficult things she does in this movie. And the fact that she never lets you settle into the triumph of bloodlust and she is so effective in her just micro business of how she gives a performance on her face. The delicate nature of that is just, it is vital to the, not even the success, but the survival of this film. And she does it so well that it makes it such a success. Like Carrie is the reason. The execution by Emerald Fennel, I think is, is so deft and so tremendous. But the reason it's not just like a well done movie and the reason to me that it is so powerfully evocative and effective is exactly because Emerald Fennel knew exactly what she needed. She pursued Carrie Mulligan for it. Carrie Mulligan delivered exactly what Emerald knew she had in her. And that is part of what makes this movie so good because of the awareness that Carrie was the one yeah. who could bring this role to life. She is tremendous in this movie. And I think the performance is is very stylized. So it's hyper real. Mm-hmm. It's not real. And that's so yeah. very, um, because the character and what she goes through are sort of real dilemmas and, and real yeah. things that's happened to this woman. But the performance, because because of what you were talking about, it was the candy colored and and the way the aesthetic choices of the movie, she has to tread this line between 
playing a real person, but also playing her hyper real in, in this very stylized way. And that is yes. not a very easy thing to do. And she sort of gets that so correctly, mm-hmm. like modulating against her voice, her body, everything. She uses all these instruments, obviously, the costumes, the 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 makeup, everything. She uses all those things to sort of give us so much. Um, the one thing that, you know, I, I like Promising a Woman, but I do, if, if I had a little bit of criticism for it, is that I feel mm-hmm. in the first half of the movie, in those scenes with all the men that she goes out with, mm-hmm. like the movie never pulls the trigger on sort of like these men, I think at least a couple would be violent or those, or we sure. never sort of see those scenes go till the end to sort of what the consequences are, because Cassie does make very bad choices. Like she goes home with strange yes. men who could literally kill her. And then, yeah. but the, the scenes, there is, I think, two or three of them, and they always end. To me, the, the ending of those scenes was a little flat, is that there was never any real threat to her. I mean, obviously, right. the movie in the yeah. end shows us that it's threat. Asking, and, it's, and, it's demanding a suspension of disbelief for those scenes. Yeah. Like, in that way, like, it's almost, it, 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 almost in the way that, it, like, a ghost story or a supernatural story yeah. would, it asks you to consider, like, okay, the reality of the world is just that we're telling you that she's not going to get hurt in these scenes, so you're just going to have to go with us on this, yeah. because realistically, absolutely fucking not. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And even even with, you know, with Connie Britton and with Allison, she doesn't, she, Cassie herself, this is not the movie this time, Cassie herself doesn't pull the trigger on those, like, mm-hmm. she doesn't actually exact the revenge that she threatens. She stops just, just last of it, which to me is just like, you know, I think um, the movie makes the choice at the end to kill Cassie. So I think mm-hmm. they, they pulled the trigger at the end, but they didn't pull mm-hmm. the trigger until the end. And I th- well, and I think I, I think that, and I think that is why because that you think because you've been let off the hook so many times that this movie is eminently mm-hmm. safe. Oh, in that yeah, way. that's a good point. And it it sets you up for the old like you couldn't possibly think, and especially since the strangulation, the asphyxiation, it takes place over what I would imagine is a real time framework. Like the amount of time, I it really it really hit me the second time I watched it. The amount of time you actually spend watching um, Al kill. Cassie is like, oh my God, we're, we're still, we're still in this. And you keep thinking she's been let off the hook every time. There's no way someone's going to come in. Someone's going to stop him. He's going to stop himself. And he doesn't. And every single turn in the movie, it, it held it, 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 like you said, it had its finger on its trigger and then it just removed it the last second until it doesn't. And until you lose her. And I think one of, and like, I think you're, one of my favorite points you made in all this is just like, like your, your emphasis on how important her vocal work is. And just one of my favorite lines she's ever delivered is when she is honestly, when she's in the cafe with Laverne Cox and she's like, why don't you, Laverne's like, why don't you move out of your parents' house? Like, why are you still in my shitty coffee shop? And she just has that tremendous response where she's like, listen, I could have it all. I could have the success. I could have the job. I could have the house. I could have, I could go out and get, get that in 10 minutes. I don't want it. I don't want it. And her voice is so much, it, it's it's perpetually surprising to me almost how low Carrie Mulligan's voice is because she's so live and she's so delicate. And she's got this nice almost rasp to her sometimes. And I like it especially in her, when she does her American accent, I think it really like the dryness <laughs> is a little bit extra. And just it, like, it comes I don't want out it. More, yeah. I don't want it. And because she is at that sort of middle vocal register, for so much of her her acting work, when she does explode every so often, it's so rewarding. So no matter like how heightened and intense the things are she's doing in this movie, there is also that great, there's that, oh God, the incredible, where she has Al chained up to the bed 
And she's, you know, she's like, say it. Like, tell me what you did. Tell me. And he's just not doing it. And she, you know, he tells, like, I'm just, I was just a kid. Like, there was nothing, <laughs> like, nothing really. Ha-. And she just goes, she just snaps and shouts, wrong. And you're, you're so disarmed by the fact that she shouted at him. It is just like, it's like she keeps, it's like somehow Carrie Mulligan yelling is like a nuclear weapon she keeps in her back pocket. And all she has to do is shout, wrong. And you're like, oh my God, it's fucking over. It's fucking over. Like, this is, this is a brawl for all. Like, it is unreal how she can just change the tone of a scene by even doing that because the explosion is so contained that volcano's got the caldera just kept right on the top of it until it breaks through. And it's so rewarding when it does. And she just has that low, sardonic voice down so well. And this character is basically the definition of that low, sardonic voice. And that's like my favorite voice that Carrie does. So it just gets, it's beginning to see, it's like getting to see a greatest hits of the thing that I enjoy most about Carrie Mulligan as a, as a, as an acting presence. And it just like distilled into one movie that also has an incredible soundtrack and men being raked over the coals. It's just a perfect combination of it's, those um, it's oh. it's 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 a great it's a great movie to watch if you like Carrie Mulligan. It's she's so amazing in it. It's yeah, great. Yeah, like if if you're it, it, like even if you like as a if somebody out there is a Carrie Mulligan completist, you simply couldn't miss this role. Absolutely, and not. the the use of food in that movie is so good too. And she does such like the fact that Carrie's always gnawing on something. She's always chewing on something. She's always eating. Her just, her physical, her choreography with that, like the blocking around that and and the way she just works that into her character so blithely, always kind of mouthing on something, the way that communicates sort of her like detachment from anything she's interacting with, because it's like, I'm constantly busying myself with something that's not you. Like, make me care more than my Twizzler and like, maybe we can have a conversation I just like the the power that she imbues into sort of everything just by chewing on a straw. I think is is a testament to like it's, the the amazing physical acting that we've seen at, at multiple points in her career. But then in that, it's like God, even when you do that, you are just fucking devastating. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful performance, and as you can tell, listeners, both Jordan and I love Carrie, and we recommended <laughs> yeah. three movies to you. Um, so Jordan, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has truly been so much fun. And it's fun having like a, it's fun having a very excited, exuberant conversation about Carrie Mulligan when it's, she's, she's a, a reserved and stoic figure. And it's yeah. like, no, let's shout about how like delightful <laughs> Carrie Mulligan is. She's so great. Um, she's so great. Um, I love her. I think these movies are great. I think she, she finally got that second Oscar nomination, you know, 10 years, 11 years after an education for Promising Young Woman. And so what a time to celebrate Carrie Mulligan. I'm happy the world <laughs> yes. has finally acknowledged, not that the Oscars and awards are everything, but they're definitely right. an indication that there is respect and admiration and she deserves. And it's a, and it's a thing that like, if you're the, if you're the most casual of movie watcher, I think a thing that, that that kind of recognition does, even if like, you know, it can be overinflated or it can, you know, the, the horse race of it is is really brutal. It just, it draws other eyes to you that might not have known to look your direction in the first place. And that's very cool. Like the idea of her getting more of that shine that she deserves. And the idea too, like, you know, offers come with awards and nominations. And the idea of Carrie having more choices to make her like very curative decisions based off of, I want her to have the best possible options in front of her. So yes. Me too. 
Again, Jordan, what a wonderful conversation. You've been a wonderful guest. I loved having you. Please come back. Um, um, Please have me. Absolutely. (laughs) And before we go, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And then you can find me on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Cruciola, where I write some stuff and I make my podcasts and uh, you can enjoy those things. It's open to anybody to like who wants to click on it, but feel free to support as well, because why wouldn't you? Yes, support Jordan, read her work, listen to her podcast. She's one of my favorite cultural voices. And this is why it was such a joy for me to have you on Sundays with Kate to talk about Carrie Mulligan. And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. Until next time, thank you for listening.